This is thatsinthebible.com. That's in the Bible, episode 61, Is God a Calvinist? Troublesome times are here, filling men's hearts with fear. Freedoms we all hold dear, powers at stake. Humbling your hearts to God, saves from the chastening rod. Seek the way pilgrims trod, Christians away. And welcome back to That's in the Bible. My name's Eric. Glad you could join us for episode 61, Is God a Calvinist? The answer, no. Join us again next time when we... <laughs> when we present another exciting episode. And <laughs> All right, I guess we should continue on, though. So, as you can hear, we have the whole gang here, Matt, Pastor Strobel, Pastor Steve, and uh, let's start with Pastor Steve. How have you been, my friend? I'm doing well. Doing very well. Just uh, up to the normal things. Uh, trying to live for God and uh, going to church and uh, continuing on with the Bible studies with uh, Frank and his family and uh, just uh, staying busy. Amen. Pastor Strobel. Yes, keep him busy as well. Had a busy day of um, ministering today. Uh, had a funeral early this morning. A man who had been to our church on a number of occasions uh, passed away suddenly Saturday night. Um, he was 59 years old. The good news is that uh, one of our church members, a couple of our church members, were his neighbor, and that's how we got to meet uh, him. And uh, oh, back in July of 2006, um, one of our members was able to lead him to the Lord. So. Mm-hmm. He'd made a good profession of faith and had been been to church again a number of times, didn't come regularly. It had been a while since he'd been there, um, but had a good opportunity to get out the gospel there to a good crowd of, uh, of people that uh, needed it. He has um, several brothers and um, a lot of other people there, so that was a good opportunity. Coming back from there, I stopped in at the nursing home to check in on one of the elderly men from our church who has not been doing well. He um, would come, we would go pick him up. He, the, the nursing home, that particular one, is two doors down from a church. We have another one right next door to it. But they would go and pick him up um, just by by hand and, and wheel him over down the street on his wheelchair. He'd always like to come to the church. Uh, he sits uh, up in the front, um, just uh, on the edge of a pew toward my right. And uh, he had started to go downhill. He was at church last, I think, the week before Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. And um, when I saw him, I went to see him yesterday. And he, for the first time, just really looked like he was on his way out. But as I went in there, you know, it was just a, just a pleasant room. He's got uh, a good-sized Bible on a, on a Bible stand right on top of his shelf. Mm-hmm. Um, he has, has, has at least a total of two or three uh, different Bibles and more, possibly. A lot of Christian books, uh, scriptures on the wall. And uh, as I walked in, um, his, he was out of it, you know, pretty well sedated, um, not responsive, but his eyes kind of open, breathing. Uh, but they had hymns playing on a CD player. Amen. <laughs> and so just before I left, I mean, the, the last hymn that played was God Be With You Till We Meet Again. Man. And um, I, 
sang it a little bit with him and, and left. So I walked in there today, not knowing uh, that he had already passed on, but mm. uh, walked in to see that to see his, his uh, the empty shell of his body there. And then uh, knowing he's now absent from the body and uh, present with the Lord. Amen. He's from um, a different area. He's actually from Niagara Falls, but has been coming to our church since he's lived in that nursing home for, um, for about the last six years or so, I would I would guess. And he loved coming to church. And when there was times that they wouldn't let him go or he couldn't make it, he would he would not be happy about that. <laughs> <laughs> but I uh, really enjoyed. He used to teach Sunday school at a church in Niagara Falls. Mm-hmm. So we're gonna we're gonna miss him, but we're gonna see him again. Amen. <laughs> And then after that, had a uh, discipleship session with uh, one of the young men from our church, and we've been going through discipleship material. And today we went through Lesson 6 and studied on the subject of prayer. Amen. 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 Matthew. Yeah, it's been good. We um, A couple weeks ago, we went to a nursing home on where our church is, and um, our church has been going to the nursing home for a while, but I haven't uh, really started a ministry there yet, and so uh, I just started doing that, and so that was really nice. It's it's one of those really neat kind of times where you're able to go, and, and it's, you know, it's that kind of generation that, that is there right now at the nursing home that grew up, of course, with the Bible most of the time in their houses that they read and, and uh, sang the good old uh, hymns as well. So what we do is we have about 30 minutes of singing hymns to them uh, with a piano player, which would be uh, my wife, of course. And and then uh, what we do is we have about 20 minutes of preaching and then another 10 minutes of, of singing hymns to them. And uh, it was really neat because most of them, you know, we'd hand out the hymn books to each one of them and uh, help them get to the places where we're going to sing the, the old hymns. And uh, it was real neat because a lot of them cannot even see or wouldn't even be looking at the books, um, but they'd be singing right along with, uh, with the songs with us. So that was really neat. There was probably about uh, probably 12, 13 people in there. And uh, it was really neat. One lady uh, said on uh, her way out, she's like, thanks so much. Thanks so much for coming. You know, thank you so much. So, you know, it just makes it all worth it when you can put a smile on somebody's face and just give them a little, you know, taste of a little taste of heaven, a little taste of church, you know. Um, and uh, so that was really nice. We're going to be doing that again um, this Sunday after church. And, uh, and then also we, uh, went out street preaching in Oswego, our, our street preaching for the church started up again. And, uh, so we were able to go out on the streets in Oswego. And, uh, after the street preaching, we, uh, walk up to our car and I was able to, uh, witness to this gentleman coming out of AA and, uh, a young guy, he looked like he was in his young twenties and his name's Bobby. And uh, he said he saved, but I asked him, I said, well, what does that mean to you? Because it means so many different things to other people. And, and he said, well, when I was younger, when I was very little, little, I got, you know, dunked in water. And and uh, so I was able to give him the gospel, tell him he's not saved, if that's how he believes he got saved, and and uh, try to get him lost, um, you know, so he can see that uh, he needs Jesus Christ as a Savior, no works he could do. So so it's just been a blessing. We got uh, we got street preaching Saturday morning as well, and uh in uh, Fulton coming up here. So, been busy, but it's been really good. Amen. Amen. Let's see. I got to uh, do a little traveling because um, I was off this past week and I uh, was able to get to Lockport. Went to church on Sunday with Pastor Strobel. And that's always good. Look for Steve, didn't see him. <laughs> <laughs> MIA. MIA. And, uh, so that's always good to get back to town. And, and also, um, 
been working on a CD, and, and Barbie just pointed out to me that it's been over a year since we started recording this CD. This is uh, Pastor Strobe or Pastor uh, Matt Smith, Smith, my uh, pastor here in in Vestal, his wife, and uh, we started recording a CD. I guess over a year ago now, and I don't even think we were originally going to record a CD. We were just kind of seeing if we could do it. I mean, we do a couple of songs, and then we were. We recorded the songs, and then we got listening to it. And well, before we you know put it together, we should fix this, and it just kept going. So at one point, I guess this recently we said, okay, that's enough. We got to stop, <laughs> you know, trying to tweak it and trying to make it better. So I did the photography for that, recorded it, uh, designed the CD cover and those things, and played guitar and on a few songs. And we wrote a song too called uh, "Jesus, My Savior." which is the fourth song on the CD. So that's available now. If you go to barbiesmith.com, B-A-R-B-I-E-S-M-I-T-H, barbiesmith.com, you can actually listen to a couple samples and and um, you could purchase the CD if you would like. Um, I guess that's the news on this end. Amen. Mine. Yeah, the CD sounds good, actually. I've listened to a few of the songs so far. <laughs> You just sang that because Jennifer sings on on the songs. Jennifer's, Jennifer's not even here right now. If Jennifer was here, I might say a little bit more about it. But uh, no, it's really it's really good. <laughs> and how that how did that that even come about? I think we were just there at the time. I and think, Barbie and was here. and We were recording or going to record, and you guys came. Well, I think we were there, and, and well, Barbie um, came over. Man. Yeah, and Barbie came over because Jennifer was there, and they, you know, Barbie was like, "Hey, why don't we uh, kind of do a duet?" So they did Be Still My Soul. Now, does this mean that Jennifer will have to go on the tour with her? I think she should. <laughs> as long as we get the big cuts, you know, of uh, the big crowd of money. So, Matt, are you going to be a rowdy? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and, and take care of all the uh, equipment? And uh, Did you say a rowdy? Rowdy rowdy? <laughs> Rowdy? He might be rowdy a, or rowdy? He might be a rowdy rowdy. I'll probably be a rowdy that is rowdy. A rowdy okay. rowdy. <laughs> well, I was never in one of those bands like somebody else I know, but anyway. You're talking about Pastor Strobel? <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, right. Not I, said the little red hen. <laughs> what was your band's name, Dad? Yeah, we, never, we never had rowdies. <laughs> we had rowdies, but we never had rowdies. <laughs> It's good to be I saved. Know. Good to be I saved, know. isn't it? Oh, Looks like uh, the boy genius is trying to show me. <laughs> That's for you, Matt. <laughs> and if you were in, within reach, you'd get a little more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's see. We're ab- actually on uh, episode sixty-one, post sixty-one for for the website, but we. We did put up something that we haven't um, done in a long time, as we put up a video and street preaching at Syracuse. Do you want to say anything about that, Matt? Uh, it was just, uh, it was real nice. It was, uh, we had a good group out that day. Um, it was, I believe it was the last game of the season. <clears throat> and it was nice to have, of course, you there, Dad. And um, 
the one thing that I kind of wish would have happened, though, is that was pretty much the one game that uh, the one gentleman that's really took me under his wing and taught me how to street preach and, and get me motivated to go out there and street preach a lot with him. Uh, Brother Don Moore, we've talked about him before. He wasn't able to be out there uh, that day. I think that was the only, I think that was maybe the first game all season that he missed, which is pretty amazing. And um, and then also Mark McLaughlin, too. He's usually out there. Um, so that would, that would be the only thing is I wish they were out there as well so that they could uh, at least uh, get on the camera and we could have uh, had a sound clip of each of them because, uh, I don't know, it's just kind of neat that each street preacher kind of has their own little little style or you know just like any every preacher they have their own kind of style and uh, it's kind of neat to i kind of wish they could have been on there but hopefully uh sometime dad you can come back and um we can do it again with them and try and get another video on there maybe do you know if dom has seen it i don't believe he has i haven't uh, i really haven't talked to him since that since that uh that clip's been up there so i'm not really sure so he's not talking to you now no <laughs> now that now that street preaching's over he uh he closes communication with me <laughs> until it opens up again and then he calls me <laughs> oh, amen all right so we'll be uh we'll be right back there is coming a day of judgment a day of reckoning when each individual will stand before the lord to be judged as you rightly divide the word of truth you will find two main judgments that fit this. One is the judgment seat of Christ, and the other is the great white throne judgment. Are you ready? Find out in episode 28. After this, the judgment. Only on FatsInTheBible.com Can the Bible really be more advanced than modern science? Are there scientific discoveries that were found in the Bible centuries before? Are there yet other discoveries that the Bible already has revealed but modern science has yet to discover? Can the King James Bible really be more accurate than modern science? Find out the answers to these questions and discover some startling truths in episode number 12. Does the Bible out science? Science. Only on fatsinthebible.com. All right, that was a word from our sponsor. <laughs> That's in the Bible. <laughs> All right, anything else before we get to the study today? And I'm awful slow at this. <laughs> Apparently not. So, Matt, you're going to. Uh, Episode sixty-one is God a Calvinist? You've you've ruined it now. I mean, there was there's no anticipation of what the answer is. <laughs> All right. Well, join us again, as I said, next week when Steve will discuss. What are you discussing next week, Steve? Next week, put him on the uh, spot. <laughs> probably the last uh, study in uh, the mystery of iniquity. All right. Is that is that part two or three? Three. Part three. That'll be that, those are that's a good those are good studies. So I'll be looking forward to that. Come on. Amen. All right, Matt, are you ready? I'm ready. All right, here we go. All right, before we get started, let's just pray. 
Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you, uh, Lord, tonight that we're able to do this podcast. Lord, I thank you that you've given us the abilities, Lord, to be able to uh, be able to speak, Lord, be able to breathe your air. And Lord, I just pray that you would uh, just empower me tonight, Lord. Just help me, uh, Lord, my flesh get out of the way, and Lord, so that you could speak through me. Lord, I pray you'd fill me with your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I just pray that uh, I'd be able to make sense of um, this uh, false doctrine, Lord, called Calvinism. Lord, that uh, if somebody believes this and are listening to it, Lord, that they would uh, have an open mind, open heart, and Lord, search the scriptures, whether these things are true. And Lord, I pray for those that uh, do not believe this way, um, but maybe are going to deal with somebody that believes uh, Calvinism. Lord, that it would uh, give them some ammunition, Lord, give them some strength, um, give them some soundness in the faith, Lord, that they can um, be sure uh, what the Bible says and be able to give an answer to every man that asketh the hope that is in them. And Lord, I pray that you'd uh, just again, just be with tonight, Lord, just uh, watch my mouth, Lord, put a guard upon it. And Lord, I pray that you'd give me exactly what you want me to say. And Lord, I pray that you'd come back soon. Lord, it'd be nice to see you. Lord, just if you'd come back tonight, Lord, I wouldn't be, uh, uh, I wouldn't be upset. And Lord, I don't think anybody else here tonight would be. And Lord, again, I thank you for everything you do. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, so the study we're going to talk about tonight is on Calvinism. And the title is, Is God a Calvinist? And of course, the answer is no. And that's really what I want to look at probably um, even six, seven months ago, if you would have asked me about this uh, this subject of Calvinism. Um, you know, I had some verses um, to prove uh, what the Bible teaches, um, but I didn't have, a, a, you know, pages and pages of notes. And uh, I, I have many, many pages of notes now. Uh, thank God that uh, he's given me a lot of material. Um, but uh, don't worry, I'm not going to go over every single note here. I'm only going to use um, maybe just a couple pages out of them. But, uh, you know, the subject that we're going to cover tonight, like I said, is Calvinism. And uh, it's also known as Reformed Theology. And uh, now, a lot of times when you talk to somebody and they are a Calvinist and, uh, and they believe this false doctrine, a lot of times they don't say straight out that they're Calvinists. Now, you, you'll meet some Calvinists that will say that, but there's some that won't even claim the name Calvinist. Um, but when you really get to know them, kind of spend some time with them and ask them questions about what they believe, you'll find out that they're uh, uh, Calvinistic in doctrine. And, uh, and we'll, if you don't know what that means, uh, we're going to go through that, what they believe, and then be able to refute it uh, by what the Word of God says. And uh, so, you know, when you think about Calvinism, you say, well, what is Calvinism? Well, it comes from John Calvin. And he lived around the 1500s, and uh, he'd ultimately be the one that uh, this religion or kind of doctrine comes from. And uh, if you look at uh, who John Calvin really studied under, who he really looked to, uh, looked up to, um, it was Augustine. And so if you really want to kind of see what kind of a man um, John Calvin was, you can see what um, Augustine believed. Here's a quote from John Calvin. And uh, he says, Augustine is so holy with me that if I wish to write a confession of my faith, I would do so with all fullness and satisfaction to myself out of his writings. And that's from John Calvin, The Eternal Predestination of God. So I don't know if you missed that, but he said, Augustine is so holy with me, if I wish to write a confession of my faith, I would do so with all fullness and satisfaction uh, to myself out of his writing. So he's saying, if you wanted to know anything about me, if you wanted to know exactly what I believe um, when it comes to my faith, 
then just read anything that uh, Augustine has written, and you'll know exactly what I believe, where I stand on that subject. So if you really want to know what kind of a man John Calvin is, let's look at what Augustine believed. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. It's just a few points. But uh, Augustine, uh, if you look into any history, you'll see that he's really called the father of the Inquisition. I mean, he had many Christians put to death for their faith. Uh, I call myself a Bible believer. I stand on the King James Bible. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't apologize for it. I believe every word of it, every jot and tittle. And, uh, if uh, I lived back in this time during Augustine's time, he would have had me put to death if he knew about me and any other Bible believer would have done the same if they didn't agree with him. And uh, this is one thing that Augustine said. He says, and I quote, any man who opposed infant baptism was accursed. Now, he believed Mary was sinless and should be worshipped. He believed in purgatory. And he also said this, I quote, I should not believe the gospel unless I was moved to do so by the authority of the Catholic Church. This, this gentleman was a devout Roman Catholic. Um, he believed in the only true church, which was the Catholic Church, he said. And this is what he says, I quote, The Catholic Church alone is the body of Christ. Outside of this body, the Holy Spirit giveth life to no one. So just like the Catholic Church teaches today, if you're not part of that Catholic Church, if you're not a member in that Catholic Church and believe their doctrine and uh, partake in all that they do there, uh, then you're not truly in the body of Christ and you're not saved. Um, now, my question to you is, if you do believe uh, Calvinism, uh, the, you know, there's a lot of churches, uh, even in this country, that are Calvinistic in doctrine. But you know what? They would never have John Calvin or Augustine in their pulpits. <laughs> you would never have a Roman Catholic get up and preach in, in your pulpits, but you'll have somebody like this. You'll have their doctrine, what they believed, um, in your church. And it's kind of the same thing with Westcott and Hort. I mean, you see what happened with the other Bible versions. They'll have those different Bible versions in the um, in their pulpits, but they would never have the people that are behind those versions, the, the texts that are behind those versions, to be able to get up there in front of their pulpits. So anyway, I just wanted to give you a little backstory of that's where Calvin comes from. That's where he took many of his beliefs from, is where he learned underneath, is from Augustine. Now, from all that, of course, I don't believe Augustine is saved, um, because he said that infant baptism uh, is part of salvation. He said you have to believe in Mary. Uh, he also said that the Catholic Church is the only place for salvation. You know, the Catholic Church doesn't teach um salvation by grace through faith, they teach it by works. So most likely Augustine wasn't saved, and I do not believe that John Calvin was saved. So right off the bat, you got a lot of negatives going against you. But, uh, you know, the bottom line is, let's look at what they believe and uh, what Calvinism really is, and then, of course, look to our final authority of all matters of faith and practice, which is our Bible. Now, what is Calvinism? When you say, okay, well, you're a Calvinist, what does that mean? Well, we kind of put it into five points, and uh, a lot of people say I'm either a five-point Calvinist. You'll actually find that some people are four-point Calvinists, three-point Calvinists, and all that means is out of the five points of Calvinism, some don't believe all of them. So you'll have different Calvinists that believe different things, but mainly these five points is what they believe. And uh, they use a tulip theology is what it's called, and, and each uh, letter stands for one of their doctrines. So tulip, you've got the T first, which would be total depravity. And what that really means is they say that man is so depraved, so dead in his sins that he cannot even understand that he needs Jesus Christ until first God um, regenerates that person. That first, that person has to be born again, but they can't do anything about their, their state. God has to come to them first, and he has to regenerate them. Then they can believe the gospel after they're born again, and then they can get saved. 
Now, if you know anything about the Bible, you know that's not right, but we're going to go past that for right now. That's total depravity. That's what they believe on that point. Now, for TULIP, you've got the U now, unconditional election. And they say God unconditionally and sovereignly elects who will be saved. And this election has nothing to do with anything the sinner does, such as exercising faith in the gospel. Again, it's not anything that a man can do. Nobody says, well, I know I'm a sinner. I need to accept Jesus Christ. No, it doesn't go that way. God says, I'm going to choose you. Uh, you're elected. You know, you're going to be in that election that's going to go to heaven, and then you're not. And uh, limited atonement here also um, for the L. And they say the death of Christ on the cross was only for those that God has sovereignly elected. So limited atonement, they say, is not for the whole world. It's not for every single person that's born on this earth. It's only for those that God has chosen. And uh, we've got also for the eye and tulip, irresistible grace. And uh, they say God's call to the elect to be saved cannot be resisted. The dead sinner, if he is one of the elect, is regenerated, granted the gift of faith. So they say, listen, even if the person does not want to get saved, even if the person says, listen, I don't want to have anything to do with Jesus Christ, if God chooses them before the foundation of the world, like the Calvinists say, then they have absolutely no uh, resistance that they can go against it. They say, nope, I'm going to be saved. And God says, okay, now you're going to get saved. And they're going to regenerate them, and uh, they'll be saved. But, um, of course, we know that's not what the Bible says. But, again, we're just going through what... Uh, in a nutshell, what TULIP is. Now you've got also P, Perseverance of the Saints. And they say, those are these are who are elected and regenerated, or I'm sorry, those who are elected and regenerated will continue in the faith. And let me just read this, what they say, Abstract of Principles in 1858, and that says, those whom God hath accepted in the Beloved and sanctified by His Spirit will never, never totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace. So they say, listen, if you get saved, if you're truly one of the elect, then you're not going to fall away to the point where you never return uh, to the Bible, to God, to uh, to church. Um, so what they really don't believe in is they don't believe in being backslidden, which is exactly what the Bible teaches, that you can be backslidden but still saved. So that's the main outline of what they believe, the tulip theology. If, if somebody says they're a Calvinist, they believe in most of those five points. Some believe in all five of them. Um, but that's what Calvin believed, and that's what Calvinists believe today. Now, it's gonna. It would take way too long to go over every single point uh, in depth. I mean, we could take days and days and days to go over everything uh, biblically and show you why these are wrong. But we're gonna uh, stick with two main points tonight. Um, maybe go if we have time through uh, through the others, just with a verse or two. But uh, the two main ones that I want to stick with tonight um, is limited atonement and unconditional election. And the reason why I want to go over those two is because I truly believe that that is the the foundation um, of what they stand on. If if we can show through the Bible that limited atonement and unconditional election is totally false according to the Word of God, according to God Almighty, then we can take away their legs so that they have absolutely nothing to stand on. We can take away their foundation so they have nothing to stand on. And if we prove those wrong, then all the other points will just fall right in place, right down, and not be able to stand on their own. Now... Um, I'm going to quote what Kelvin says, and uh, this is from, let me get exactly where this quote's from. Um, let's see. This is from Institutes of the Christian Religion, Book 3, Chapter 22. And this is exactly what Kelvin says. We call predestination God's eternal decree by which he compacted with himself what he willed to become of each man, for all are not created in equal conditions, rather. Eternal life is foreordained 
for some, eternal damnation for others. So, what Calvin's saying here, if you see it, it says right here that God made a pact, or God made an agreement with himself, and he says right here, what he willed to become of each man. And he goes on and he says, some to eternal life is foreordained for some, and eternal damnation for others. So what Calvin says, and what Calvinists believe, is that there's some that God says, okay, I'm going to choose you to be eternally damned. That's my will for you, is to be damned no matter what. And then he looks over to these other people, and he says, okay, now you, I'm going to choose, and it's my will that you're going to be elected um, to go to heaven. No matter what you think, no matter what you uh, believe, you're going to go no matter what. You cannot go to hell. And uh, so God says, or uh, so Calvin says here that this is God's will, that some would be damned and some would uh, go to heaven. Now, when you look at what the Bible says, that's totally false. Turn with me to Second Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. We're going to look in the Word of God tonight, and we're going to see exactly what God says, not what man thinks, not what uh, maybe a Calvinistic doctrine uh, says, but we're going to look exactly what God says to find the uh, final answer. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, the Bible says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, we could stop right there. I mean, we could stop, we could totally uh, shut our books, we could totally shut the Bible and say, that's it. That's all you need to know. You know, when I deal with a Calvinist, uh, this would be the first verse that I would show them. And the reason why is because their whole theology lands on the whole thinking that God has willed, it's God's will for some to go to eternal damnation, and it's God's will for some to go to heaven, but not all. But look at what the Bible says here. God's not willing that any should perish. It's God's will that none would go to hell. He doesn't will anybody. He doesn't want anybody to go to hell. But it says he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, if you uh, take this verse and you show a Calvinist, uh, if they've been coached correctly, now, of course, not biblically, but correctly by um, those that believe in Calvinism, they're going to start to tell you, well, listen, now the all here really doesn't mean all. It doesn't mean every single person has been born into this world. It doesn't mean that. And what they have to do is these Calvinists, they have to change the Bible. They have to corrupt the Bible. They have to change the Word of God so that it lines up with their doctrine. And that's the problem. That's when you get heresy. When you get heresy is when you change the Bible to line up with what you believe, rather than changing your belief to line up with what the Bible, the Word of God says. Now, this is what they try and say. They say the all here is not every single person in the world, but it's only the elect. Those that God has preordained from the foundation of the world, you know, when he has elected those people, those are the ones that God is not willing that any should perish. He's not. So you would change it here. God's not willing that any of the elect should perish, but that the elect should come to repentance. Now, that's nowhere in that verse, but that's what they do. They have to change that verse so that they can still try and explain their, their theology. Now, one way you can show it to them is, okay, well, how about Romans 3.23? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, listen, if you're going to say that all here in Second Peter chapter 3 is not really every single person that walks the face of the, this earth, then you're going to have to go back and say in Romans chapter 3 verse 23, then that all doesn't mean all there either. Uh, but, see, you'll get them in a corner here because Romans 3.23, they have to believe that every single person that walks on this earth is totally depraved. Because that's the first point in their whole tulip theology. 
T, total depravity. Man is totally corrupt and dead in his sin. That's every single man that walks the face of this earth. So when you start changing that all there, you're in trouble. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 38, verse 17. I mean, we could just go verse after verse after verse, but I'll show you one more. Isaiah chapter 38, verse 17. <clears throat> My question is to you is, when you got saved, did Jesus Christ wash away all your sins or just some of them? Isaiah chapter 38, verse 17 the Bible says, Behold, for peace I had great bitterness, but thou hast in love to my soul delivered it from the pit of corruption, for thou hast cast all my sins behind thy back. Now, if you're a Calvinist, you would say, well, it's not all. It's not all my sins. See, that's the problem that they run into. When they start changing the Bible around, they get into a problem. But uh, the, the Bible specifically states, God specifically states that he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now let's look at another one. John chapter 3, verse 16. This is a well-known verse. John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now you know how many people God loved when he sent his Son? He loved the whole world. He loved every single person that's on this earth that was going to be born on this earth. He loved the world so much that he sent his only begotten son. And he says, whosoever, that's anybody. So it's like this. It's like if I gather a bunch of people, maybe a gym class, something like that, to give you an illustration. I've got a huge, maybe 20, 20 people in front of me, 20 kids. And I say, okay, you know what? Now out of that group, out of you guys which we would call the world, I'm going to say, whosoever will come with me, you'll be on my team. Now, it's their choice. It's their choice to be able to choose who wants to come. But see, what the Calvinists do is they split that those 20 people up, put maybe 10 on one side on the left hand, 10 on the other side on the right hand, and they only turn to the, they only, then I would only turn to that one, those 10 people on the right, and say, okay, whosoever, which is you guys, will follow me, can have eternal life. And all 10 of them would follow me. But all those on the left side, those 10 over there would say, well, wait a minute, that's not fair. You know, we didn't even have a chance. But see, that's what the Calvinists say. They have to change the word of God. So what they would say here is, for God so loved uh, the elect that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever of the elect believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, again, you run into a problem when you start changing the word of God. When you start changing and say, well, that world there doesn't mean every single person on the face of the earth. That means only elect. Well, turn with me to John chapter 15. Because, again, if you're going to be changing the word of God, it's got to be consistent all the way through. You can't just say, well, the world here means this one time, and then the world here at the other place doesn't really mean that. Uh, it has to be consistent. John chapter 15 and verse 18. If the world hate you... Now, who's, who's Jesus Christ talking to? He's talking to Christians. He's talking to those that are saved, um, those, that are, those that are believers. He says, if the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. Verse 19, if ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Now, if you uh, continue that on and you say the world is the elect, you have a problem. Because it says here, if the elect hate you. Well, these believers here are one of the elect, according to the Calvinists. So they got a problem here. Now, turn to John chapter 17, and you'll see that problem resonate over here as well. John chapter 17, verse 9, I pray for them, I pray not for the world. So again, this is Jesus Christ talking. He's saying, I pray for them that believed, 
Um, but I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. So Jesus Christ is talking to God the Father. And in verse 14, Jesus Christ says, For I, uh, I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. In verse 16, um, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. So the world, of course, is not the elect. The world is every single person that is on the, uh, that's on the earth today. And God says, out of everybody in this world, he said, for God so loved the world, every single person on this earth, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, anybody in that whole entire world, um, uh, believeth on him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, let's keep going. Let's keep looking at some more verses here. Again, all these verses that I'm going over right now um, refute their, uh, their theology on limited atonement and um, also unconditional election. So again, unconditional election is some have been elected to go to uh, eternal life no matter what, um, and some have been elected to go to eternal damnation no matter what. They don't have a choice. Limited atonement is, is that uh, Jesus Christ's blood on that cross is only good for those that are elected, and of course they're only elected by Jesus Christ, that the blood atonement is not good for the whole world. Now, all these verses, those two verses that I've already showed you, totally blow the, those two doctrines away, but let's keep going. Um, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 6, the Bible says, Who, talking about Jesus Christ, gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. So, that whole thing about limited atonement, that blood's only good for just those elect. No, it says that he gave himself a ransom for all, every single person. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, um, it goes on, it says that he, Jesus Christ, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. 1 John 2, 2, and he is a propitiation for our sins, for the, the believers. Uh, so the Calvinists would say, okay, this is the elect, and he is a propitiation for our sins, the elect, and not for ours only, uh-oh, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus Christ did not only give his blood on that cross just for those that have believed, but also those that have not believed. For those that are uh, dis uh, unbelievers in this world, Romans chapter 11, verse 32, For God hath concluded them all in unbelief, that he might have mercy upon all. John chapter 12, verse 32, And I, talking about Jesus Christ, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. And you know what happened? Jesus Christ was lifted up upon the uh, up off the earth. He was lifted up on that cross, and uh, it says that if he's lifted up on that cross right then and there, he's going to draw all men unto him. You know, Jesus Christ doesn't draw just a, a couple people, some people that are the elect. He draws every single person in this world unto him. Now, of course, not all of them will accept him. Not all of them want to be uh, be saved or or uh, um, or be subject unto him. But uh, he draws every single person in this world. Uh, Acts chapter 17, verse 30. And the times of their ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Oh, Lord, you don't mean all men. <laughs> you, you, you don't really mean all men here, Lord. You just mean uh, just the elect, just those that you've chosen. And God says, no, I said right here, all men. First Timothy 2 and uh, verse 4. Who will, okay, we're going back to what his will is. Um, who will have all men to be saved. Now remember, it, um, Calvin said it's God's will that some would be saved and some would be damned. Um, the Bible says differently. Who will have all men to be saved and come unto the knowledge of the truth. God wants every single person to be saved and come unto the knowledge of the truth. But of course, they're not all going to accept it. 
Uh, we know that uh, because of uh, Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Straight is the gate and narrow is the way that lead into life, and few there be that find it. And you know why? Because that straight gate, that narrow way, is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And uh, when you look in Proverbs 15, 3, there's a way that seemeth right into a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. You know, man tries to find every other way by their good works, by their church, their religion. They try and uh, go any other way other than Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ draws every man unto him, but they say, nope, I don't want to go that narrow way. I'm going to go my own way. Uh, Revelation chapter 22, verse 17. And the spirit and the bride say, come, and let him that heareth say, come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Romans 10, 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. All right, lastly, Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Listen, when you go over all these verses, this is only a short few verses that I've given so far on just limited atonement and, uh, and also on unconditional election. It totally destroys um, what they believe. You can see here that God's love uh, that he sent his only begotten son was for the whole entire world. His blood atonement was for the whole entire world. Every single man, woman, and child that, that walked the face of the earth was for every single person. Now, in light of those passages, let's look at what election is. Because, again, um, the Calvinists will say, well, only the elect will get to heaven. All right, well, let's look at what the elect is, then, according to the Word of God. Not what they say, but what the Word of God says. Uh, now, there's two elect bodies in the Bible. That's one thing that you have to understand, you have to get. If you get this, uh, the whole election process, you'll understand uh, very easily. Um, there's two elect bodies in the Bible. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 45. Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 4. Isaiah 45, 4 says, For Jacob my servant's sake, um, and Israel mine elect, I have even called thee by thy name. I have uh, surnamed thee, though thou hast not known me. So Israel, mine elect. Now we know that Israel is a nation that God has chosen. He chose Abraham, and then through him he'd be uh, the promised seed. He promised him that uh, they would number the stars of the uh, heavens and as the uh, sands of the uh, seas there. And he says, listen, through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, through the 12 patriarchs, you're going to get the nation of Israel. And he says, Israel is his elect. Now, if you go to Romans chapter 11, you say, well, listen, if I need to be one of the elect, I need to get into uh, these uh, Israelites here. I need to join up with them and, and be one of the elect if uh, the Calvinists say that I need to be uh, one of the elect. Well, Romans chapter 11 clears that up. Um, and this is Paul speaking, and of course Paul is a Jew, but here he's saved, so he's in the church of God. And uh, Romans chapter 11, verse 25 says, For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel. Alright, that's the elect, Israel. But they're blinded, until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so all Israel shall be saved, as is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes, but as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sakes. So you know what Paul's saying here? He's saying, you know, Israel is the elect. He's one of the elect, they're one of the elect bodies. 
uh, as a nation. But right now, they've been put off on the back burner. As you look through the Gospels and then the very beginning of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 7, where uh, Stephen is preaching, and he says, you always do resist the Holy Ghost. Um, that's the last line right there. That's the last try that God gives the, the Jews, the nation of Israel, a chance uh, to be able to accept their Messiah. But since they rejected their Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, what happens now is they're put on the back burner, and it says that it's the time of the Gentiles. And you know, it's still the time of the Gentiles because in verse 26, all Israel has not been saved yet. So it's still the time of the Gentiles. And uh, of course, we know that uh, the tribulation, once the church gets raptured out of here, it'll be the time of Jacob's trouble. So that's when the uh, God starts dealing with the Jews, those elect, uh, that elect nation again, or the elect body, is when the seven years of tribulation starts. But uh, let's look at what the, uh, the second elect body is then. If we can't uh, try and get into uh, Israel right now to uh, be saved and go to heaven, let's see what the other body is. Isaiah chapter 42. Isaiah chapter 42. In verse 1. The Bible says, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth, I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not cry, nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed shall he not break, and the smoking flax shall he not quench. He shall bring forth judgment unto truth. He shall not fail, nor be discouraged, till he have set judgment in the earth, and the isle shall wait for his law. Now it says right here in verse 1, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, mine elect. So this servant here, whoever this is, is the elect. So this is the other elect body that we need to find out who this is. Now to find out who this is, let's go to Matthew chapter 12. And God uh, shows us exactly without a shadow of a doubt who this is. That's the elect, that's uh, the elect servant here. Uh, Matthew chapter 12 and verse 14. Then the Pharisees went out and held a council against him, against Jesus Christ, how they might destroy him. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew himself from thence, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all, and charged them that they should not make him known, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not strive nor cry, neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed shall he not break, and smoking flax shall he not quench, till he send forth judgment unto victory, and in his name shall the Gentiles trust. So now that Israel's been put on the back burner, uh, there is only one more elect body, and that's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ here is that servant that is the elect, and he's the only uh, uh, body that you can get into to be in the elect. You say, what is that? What, what are you trying to say? Well, turn to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, uh, many things happen. Many things happen to you that God does to you. A lot of times we don't even know anything about it until we start studying out the Bible. But there's a few things here that I'm going to go over that the Holy Spirit uh, does uh, when you get saved. Just a few of them. There's many things that he does. But one thing is in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, the Bible says, In whom you also trusted, Jesus Christ, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So number one, once you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. Titus chapter 3, verse 5. 
Titus chapter 3, verse 5 says, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. So not only does the Holy Spirit, when we get saved, uh, seal us, but he also regenerates us. And John chapter 3, verses 3 through 8 says that the Holy Spirit uh, allows us to be born again. That's the only way we can have our spirit born again, that we're dead in trespasses and sins until we accept Jesus Christ, and the Spirit regenerates us. But then there's another thing the Holy Spirit does once we get saved, once we accept Christ as our Savior. And turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Nice. So where are you going with this? Well, you'll get it right here. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13. The Bible says, For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink uh, into one Spirit. So that Holy Spirit puts us into one body. And that one body, of course, is the, uh, the church. If you look in Ephesians chapter 5, that one body is Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 5, we know this is the, the great... Um, um, typification of the um, the marriage of a man and a woman pictures perfectly Jesus Christ, the relation to the church. And it says in here in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 30, for we are members of his body, talking about Jesus Christ's body, of his flesh and of his bones. Verse 31, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So this is what we have. We have, once you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit baptizes you into that one body, into Jesus Christ's body. And now we're neither Jew nor Gentile, but we're part of his body. And where it says right here in Ephesians 5.30, we're members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. So this is the whole thing. Now the, now the Calvinists try and get you all mixed up, trying to make it as difficult as they can so that they confuse you, so they can put past their doctrine. Um, what the Bible says is once you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're one of the elect because you're in the elect body of Jesus Christ. That's as easy as it is. Now, they try and make it as difficult as they can, but that's what it is. Jesus Christ is the elect. If you get saved, you get put into the elect. Now, the three terms that really scares most believers is these three here. Foreknowledge, election, predestination. Now, if we can figure out all three of those biblically and get those in line, in order, correctly, uh, you won't be scared of them ever again. We just went over election. We just went over election. We'll go over a couple more verses to show you exactly uh, the order and how it all works out. But you know that election is only when you, uh, as a lost sinner, gets put into Jesus Christ's body by believing in Jesus Christ, by repenting of your sins and accepting him as your Savior. But let's look at foreknowledge first. Now, foreknowledge, if you know anything about what the word means, it means that you know something before it happens. Now, a lot of times we can know that. I mean, we know that um, when Christmas is going to happen every single year, uh, we know certain events that are going to take place. We know that the first of the year is going to be uh, January 1st. I mean, those are things that we know. We, we know them ahead of time, but it doesn't mean that we're actually changing what's going to happen. We don't, we're not going to change anything that's going to take place, but we know we have a foreknowledge of what's going to take place. Now, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, The reason why I want to go over foreknowledge, election, and predestination is because the Calvinists will take these and try and scare you with them, and they'll try and make it as difficult as they can, but they won't uh, use it biblically. 
Um, Acts chapter 2, we're looking at foreknowledge. Acts chapter 2 and verse 23 the Bible says, Him, talking about Jesus Christ, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. You know what Jesus Christ knew? Jesus, or what God the Father knew? He knew that God the Son was going to be taken by the Jews and uh, by the Romans and that he was going to be crucified and slain on this earth. He knew that. He knew that before he even created everything. He knew that before time began. Look at Revelation chapter 13. God the Father, outside of time, before he created everything in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, knew that Jesus Christ was going to be slain. Revelation chapter 13, he foreknew that. Revelation chapter 13 verse 8. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him talking about Jesus Christ, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. You know what Jesus Christ was? God knew exactly that Jesus Christ was going to have to be slain before he even uh, laid the foundations of the world. He knew, first of all, he foreknew that there was going to be sinners on this earth. Now, he didn't cause Adam and Eve to sin. He didn't cause the devil to sin. He didn't cause you or I to sin. But you know what he knew? He knew that we were going to sin because he had foreknowledge. He foreknew that. And because of that, he had a uh, he had a prepare or allow for Jesus Christ to come down to this earth and uh, be made of a woman, be crucified, live a perfect sinless life and be crucified uh, um, a sinner's death so that he could be a ransom for all. Now look at uh, look at first Peter chapter one. That's what foreknowledge is. He knew that, that you and I were going to be sinners, that we couldn't get to heaven um, by being a good person, by keeping the law. He knew we were going to sin. And so because of his foreknowledge, he knew that he'd have to have a way out for us. And that way out was Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 1. That's as simple as what foreknowledge is. 1 Peter chapter 1. And verse 2. Elect. Well, let's go to verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience, and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. So let me slow that down so you can get it. Elect. Now, of course, we know how you become one of the elect, right? You have to be saved through Jesus Christ, and then the Holy Spirit puts you in to that elect body, Jesus Christ. But it'll show you that. Verse 2, elect according to the foreknowledge of God. So you're elect according to the foreknowledge of God, because God knew that he'd have to send his son down, that you'd have to get into that body. Um, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. So how do you get elect? Through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Christ. You know how election comes? It comes by the foreknowledge that, Jesus, that God had to come down, that Jesus Christ had to come down here, but elect through sanctification of the Spirit. And that's what we said before. You're only elect when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, and the Holy Spirit sanctifies you and baptizes you into the body of Jesus Christ. That's what election is. That's what foreknowledge is. Now look at uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. You'll see this as well. Again, Scripture with Scripture here. I'm not taking these passages out of context. Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. 
But we, talking about those that are saved, are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So right here, you're chosen to salvation, but how are you chosen? It says right here again, through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. The only time that you're chosen uh, to be put in the elect body is, again, by sanctification of that Holy Spirit and belief of the truth. That's the only time. Now, look at Ephesians chapter 1. So we've got foreknowledge down that Jesus Christ had to be made of a woman to die for us. God knew that ahead of time. Election. The only way we can get it is through sanctification of the Spirit, and we get into the Jesus Christ body. Now let's look at a predestination. Once you get through this, you won't even be scared about these words anymore. Ephesians 1, verse 4. The Bible says, According as he hath chosen us, talking about the believers, in him, again, you're going to be in Jesus Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. You know how we got uh, predestinated? Um, we got predestinated be, to be unto the adoption of children is right here in verse 4. According as he hath chosen us. Now, how, again, were we chosen in him? Uh, when you look back, again, it's first election. We get put in through the Spirit and uh, chosen once we are sanctified by the Holy Spirit, the verses we just went over. And right here, once that happens, once we've been put into the body of Christ, now, it says right here, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ. You know, you're not predestinated until you're put into that body of Jesus Christ. Now, the Calvinists will try and say that before the foundations of the world that um, you were predestinated some to eternal life in heaven and God predestinated some to eternal life in hell without anything you could do. And as I've showed you tonight, that's totally against the Word of God. That's totally against the Word of God. So again, you have to be put in the body of Christ. Now, I've just went over two. I've uh, gone over a couple others here going through it. I went over total depravity already. That um, um, Actually, we'll go over that one just real quick before I end here. Total depravity, again, TULIP. I've already went under unconditional election, limited atonement. Now, uh, total depravity is their first here under TULIP. And uh, go to Ephesians chapter 1. We've already gone over this verse, but I didn't explain it. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. Now, what they believe, like I said before, is for somebody to be able to understand the gospel or, or to be able to get saved, the person first has to be born again um, by the Holy Spirit. And uh, uh, you see here in uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, that's just not it. Ephesians 1, 13 says, "...in whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth." The gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. So first, you have to believe the gospel, and then after you believed, then you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. See, they got that backwards. See, you, yes, you are totally depraved in the sense of uh, you're a sinner on your way to hell. There's absolutely nothing you could do. Jesus Christ did it all for you. But you know what? Just as the Bible says that Jesus Christ uh, giveth light to all men that cometh in the world, John chapter 1, I believe it's verse 9, and, uh, and it says that Jesus Christ will draw all men to him. It's up to you. If you're going to believe the gospel, then 
then and only then um, are you sealed with the Holy Spirit and then you're sanctified and put in the body of Christ, not before. So I hope this has been a help to you guys. I hope uh, that I was able to get it across clear and concise. There's so many more, like I said, different things that we can go over on this. But I truly believe that if you've got this as uh, ammunition to be able to use against anybody that believes this doctrine, you can uh, be able to show them and hopefully uh, show them and, and get them to believe the Bible instead of believe a man. Um, the Bible says in Romans 3, 4, let God be true, but every man a liar. And uh, I just pray that, uh, you know, the Bible says that we should earnestly, earnestly contend for the faith. And I hope we do. Thanks, guys. Come on now, don't be bashful. <laughs> I, I was trying not to be bashful. <laughs> that was for Steve. Because we're going to go right to Steve. Steve, what do you oh, think? What? Why go to me first? What did I do? <laughs> uh well, Matt, it was a good study, and, uh, you know, for a complex um, study as it is, you, you made it understandable, and that's a good thing. And you didn't take very long to do it. I'm really surprised. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about you. Yeah, well, oh. you, 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 actually, I didn't even have one, well... Maybe I had one uh, <laughs> weak moment where I was about ready to go, but no, I, I held it together. <laughs> uh, you were talking about that last point about total depravity, and, uh, you know, it just amazes me when you take a look at the scriptures, the, the number of choices that people make throughout the Bible, and, uh, you know, Pastor Strobel and I were involved in a debate, and and uh, they made an admission, which was really kind of interesting, because any Calvinist that I had talked to before uh, said that you couldn't really make any decision uh, unless God gave you the ability to make that decision. Uh, you know, you couldn't decide what color clothes you're going to put on unless God, you know, gave you the the power to be able to do that. And they, they made the admission that, that we do have free will with the exception of choosing him. And, of course, the, the Scripture doesn't teach that. Uh, you know, in, in John chapter 1, verse 12, it says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Wow. Uh, you have the right and privilege to receive him. And once you receive him, then he gives you the power to become the sons of God. They, they, somehow they've got it in their mind that he's giving you the power uh, to believe. And that's, that's definitely not the case. Uh, he gives you the power to become the sons of God once you receive him. So I guess the other thing that, that uh, comes to mind, and then I'll hand it off, is just the mindset that they have... Uh, preconceived notion, if you will, that, uh, uh, you know, in, in regards to the elect, that, that uh, um, well, I lost my thought here, um, that the, when, when they see the world, they see the elect, like you already mentioned, uh, and they, they just can't get over the fact that, that all means all. Uh, they see elect in every phrase or every scripture where it says all. And, and 
all you have to do is be able to read sixth grade English and see that all really does mean all. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, there's there's no distinction there. So, uh, good study. Appreciate it. And uh, hope people will be able to take the information, understand it, and uh, not be confused by this informa- uh, by this uh, doctrine that's out there. Yeah. Pastor Strobel. Well, it is a vast subject, and um, I do want to take just a few moments and and, uh, and add a few things here and uh, kind of compliment what uh, Brother Matt has said. Um, Calvinism in general, I, I often have called it uh, the Doris Day religion. And um, <laughs> when I was a kid, she was famous for singing, que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. Right. And I think theologically that's what Calvinism is. That's what they believe. Really, we don't have any control over it. Um, you know, all the world's a stage and, you know, all the men and women are just players. We're just, we're just being moved around like marionettes on a string. Certainly that's what they believe in regard to salvation. And I think many of Calvinists believe it beyond salvation with uh, the other choices in spite of the admission that Steve uh, mentioned that those folks made during the debate. <clears throat> I think a good illustration of Calvinism when it comes to um, the predestination to heaven or hell or an individual's salvation, an individual trying to figure that out, uh, would be to, to just take a tulip, a literal tulip, that's what they, that's their uh, acronym they use, and uh, and sit out there, you know, in the front yard or the backyard or a field of grass, and, and just one petal at a time, petal at a time, just pick it off and, and, and say, he loves me, hmm. he loves me not. Yeah. He loves me, he loves me not. And, and you have no control over where it's going to end up. Mm-hmm. It's just he, God loves me. He loves me not, and 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 maybe somewhere when that thing worked its way into the fabric of mankind, that illustration of plucking the flowers out, uh, maybe it came from this whole Calvinistic uh, view of things. <clears throat> In the uh, acronym, or sometimes uh, called a mnemonic, a uh, way of remembering these things, the tulip uh, under the total depravity, as uh, Matt said, that teaching that. Our will is so depraved that it can't even will to accept Jesus Christ as one Savior. We believe that man is depraved, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And many other verses that deal with that. But but God still has given us a free will within our sinful condition to make up our mind uh, to ask for help. To realize that we're undone and to grab hold of the, um, uh, the, the life uh, preserver that the Lord's thrown out to us. So, when it comes to that thing, that whole view uh, really goes against what um, Acts chapter 16, verse 31 says. For that says, in response to the question, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Now, Calvinist doesn't believe that you can be saved. um, Let me put it this way. A Calvinist doesn't believe that you can believe before you're saved. They believe that you have to be regenerated, and then with your regenerated will, you believe. So the order for a Calvinist in that verse, if they were to say it like they believe, would be this. um, Thou shalt be saved, and then believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. But uh, that's the opposite order of what the Lord says. We believe, and then we're saved. And you, you, they, they tell you you're going to have to be saved and regenerated before you can believe. Unconditional election. Um, that was referring to Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 4. Uh, John Calvin wrote a commentary on Ephesians, and if you get a hold of it, when he makes the comment uh, on Ephesians 1, verse 4, uh, he goes like this. He quotes the verse uh, to this point. He says, according as he hath chosen us. 
he then stops and then goes on his rant you know about uh, unconditional election and and how God's the one that chose us to be saved. <clears throat> well, if you're going to make a stop in that verse before the end, you you make a big mistake if you stop on us. Yeah. You you do better to go two words further and stop on him. Good. <laughs> because that's the key. <clears throat> what God chose was he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world, he chose that the ones that would get in him would be saved. Right. Um, when he goes down in verse 5, and, and as Matt was talking about predestination, um, let me give you a couple other things that go with that. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ himself. According to Romans eight twenty three, the adoption has to do with the redemption of our body. Mm. It says, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. Follow Romans 8 down a little bit further, and you're, in, you're into predestination, and it's dealing with the same thing. It says, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. What God did was he predestinated that the ones that would get in Christ would one day get a body like Christ. We would be conformed to the image of his Son, this corruptible to put on incorruption, and we'd be able to be in sinless condition forever uh, after uh, the resurrection, the rapture. <laughs> Limited atonement, that Christ's blood was uh, only shed for the elect. First John 2 verse 2 says, And he, speaking of Jesus Christ, is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. All right. So there you go. Second, Second Peter 2, 1 goes even further than that in, in this sense, saying, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them. Mm -hmm. In that verse, he bought the false prophets. Well, we know the price that the Lord paid for, uh, for people, and that was his blood. That blood was shed for everyone, and it has the power to save everyone. And if people reject it, they reject it at their own will and their own peril. Wow. And the atonement wasn't limited to just the saved. It's available to, um, to everybody. Um, and they talk about irresistible grace. Uh, and I, I like to point out that in Acts chapter 7, verse 51, uh, Stephen's preaching and he says, Ye stiff-necked stiff and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do ye. So do ye. There's somebody right there that he's preaching to that's resisting the Holy Ghost. So, so God's Holy Ghost and the grace of God certainly can be resisted. And then down to the uh, perseverance of the saints. The ancient argument um, of old uh, was, uh, as a Christian, you are pigeonholed as either a Calvinist or an Arminian. And the basic argument being, if you are an Arminian, you believe that you could lose your salvation. If you're a Calvinist, you believe you couldn't. And the problem is, you've, if you believed in eternal security, which is you can't lose your salvation, then it was assumed uh, that you were a Calvinism, or you were a Calvinist, and then you, you, you would be uh, assumed to have bought into all the excess baggage of Calvinism. But in, in a different theological sense, it's like pigeonholing all Christians as being um, Catholic or Protestant. If you ask me as a Christian, are you a Catholic or Protestant, my answer would be neither. Mm -hmm. Likewise, you ask me if I'm a Calvinist or an Arminian, my answer is neither. I believe in eternal security, uh, but I don't believe in um, uh, Calvinism. And uh, Calvinism, that point about the perseverance of the saints, is sometimes confused with eternal security. And um, what we believe as, as, as Christians, I believe you can't lose your salvation, and regarding eternal security, we don't believe in the perseverance of the saints, but rather the preservation of the saints. Amen. 
in First Peter three, or chapter one, uh, says, "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which hath, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God." through faith and the salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We believe we're kept by the power of God. Now, when we say that, we don't mean we're kept by the power of God so, so that we don't have ever the potential of failing or, or falling as a Christian. Um, a just man falls seven times and rises up again. And if you want to find out if a Christian can fall and still be saved, um, a couple, couple thoughts for you. First Corinthians chapter 3, at the judgment seat of Christ, uh, there's going to be Christians that have works that are burned, wood, hay, and stubble. That's, that's rotten works they did, works of the flesh after they were, were saved. But they didn't lose their salvation. And, um, and God may have preserved them, but he didn't preserve them um, from, um, from never falling. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 to 5, you read that sometime. Here's a man um, who uh, had committed uh, such fornication that wasn't even his so much his name among the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife. And uh, the, Paul would say, uh, I'm going to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved. So this man was still saved, but in his flesh, he, was, he wasn't behaving like a Christian. And then uh, finally, I, I like to say one of the damnable results of Calvinism um, is the effect that it has on an individual's practical theology. Because many a Christian who buys into this theology, they figure, if God chooses who gets saved and who doesn't, and I don't have any say in the matter, and they don't have any say in the matter, what's the point of me witnessing? Amen. If God really wants them saved, he'll save them whether I witness or not. And um, you want to be careful that as a Christian who doesn't believe in Calvinism, that you don't embrace a practical Calvinism in this theology. Because I think sometimes Christians, they blow off giving out a tract, or they blow off witnessing, thinking to themselves, well, yeah, if the Lord really wants to save them, he, he will save them. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not saying you believe in Calvinism. But I'm saying there for a moment, you have practically embraced it. Yeah. So, uh, but, but on, and Calvinism itself, that, that theology, that leads to that, you know, it's to a lazy Christianity. Amen. Well, that was a pretty comprehensive study, Matt. Yeah. Come on. Good job. Come on. Praise the Lord. Could, uh, could I add just uh, another comment or two, sure. or is that allowed? Ab no, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. It's preordained. <laughs> um, one of the things that I think is characteristic of, of Calvinism uh, especially the preachers, is that if you do not have the works that they ascribe to being a Christian, in other words, if you're living somewhat carnally, they assume that you're not part of the elect. And therefore, uh, they'll preach as if you're a sinner, and, uh, you know, unless you, uh, they'll preach in a way of that unless you've lived up to this particular standard, you must not have really been uh, elected yet. Therefore, you, you must, uh, you know, uh, go through the whole rigmarole again. And so, a lot of times, you'll find these Calvinistic preachers are very hard preachers and uh, will get what we commonly call retreads and uh, preach for retreads, uh, trying to convince people that 
are really saved that they're not really saved so that they can get saved all over again. And um, Pastor Strobel, you can help me out on this if you would, if I, if I don't get this completely right. But in the debate that we were uh, part of, there was a question that came to the, from the floor asking one of the uh, gentlemen up there that were Calvinist on, the, on their side of the board if, uh, if they knew that they were one of the elect. And there was a long pause and no answer because they couldn't give an answer as to whether they were uh, part of the elect or not. And um, uh, which leads to this statement, which is not original with me, but it's, it's a true statement. And uh, if you don't quite understand it, think on it, on it for a little while. But because they could not know if they were part of the elect... This, this phrase is what comes up. Hyper-Calvinism leads to hyper-Arminianism. And the fact is, is that they don't know if they're really saved or not. And uh, it, it, it's, it's a futile belief system because the Bible says we do know. First uh, Corinthians, not First Corinthians, First John chapter five verse thirteen. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the of the Son of God. So we do know that we have eternal life, and when a Calvinist is put on the spot, he cannot tell you when and how he was elect. Yeah. So, I, did I convey that uh, that story correctly, Pastor Stroll? I, I don't actually remember the the question and the answer. Um, I do know one or two of them, at least, that have made they, they would give a testimony uh, of salvation. And um, but 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 it is very true that a lot of times the Calvinists uh, they they waffle on that thing. Mm-hmm. One of the most pitiful things you'll ever listen to is. Um, a Calvinist trying to tell somebody how to be saved. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if if you all get uh, family radio where you're at, that um, comes out of Oakland, California, goes all over the world. Uh, Harold Camping is the one that's associated with that, and mm-hmm. and I'm not sure if they're still even playing some of his old question and answers because last I knew he wasn't doing very well health wise, and so I don't know if he's still actually a part of that ministry of alive, but in his call in radio show, people would come in, call in and, and be concerned about their, their soul. And he would tell them basically that, well, you have to read the Bible, you know, faith come with that hearing, hearing by the word of God. And if you're one of the elect, you know, God will work. work. He couldn't give them any hope yeah. that you either are or, or you're not. And really there's not much you can do about it. And it, it, it's a sad, sad thing. Um, and it, that's, that, that doctrine is to be avoided like the proverbial plague. Yeah, my, uh, we heard one of those, my wife and I, on the way to church, we were listening to that. And uh, somebody called in. I don't really know if they were just doing that to put them on the spot, but uh, they actually said, what must I do to be saved? They said Amen. those exact words. Amen. And uh, he said exactly what you said, Pastor Trouble. He's like, well, and he, and he was kind of fumbling around a little bit. And, and uh, you know, he's, he could not give them a straight answer. He pretty much said what you said. You know, well, if, if you're one of the elect, God will show you. Um, he didn't even tell them. Well, you have to believe on the gospel 
um, you know, at least tell them you got to believe on the gospel. And if, and if, you know, what the Calvinists believe, if they're not uh, saved or born again yet, they're not going to believe the gospel. But I mean, like you said, Pastor Stroll, it's one of those things where, um, you know, you could just walk around if you truly believe uh, Calvinism and, and that belief, you wouldn't have to witness to anybody. And, you know, Mark chapter 16, verse 15, Jesus Christ, and he said, he said unto them, go you into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, why would God say to preach the gospel to every single creature if he didn't want every single one to be saved? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that's, uh, I agree with you. It's, it's, it's sad to see even, uh, um, well, a good, good friend of mine at church, um, one of the closest friends I have, uh, he gets, uh, choked up when he's praying sometimes. He prays for this gentleman that uh, went to Bible school with him at PBI, and uh, and now he's a Calvinist and and just not not what he used to be because of this doctrine. So it's it's too bad. Now I do want to add because I know the arguments. Uh, a, a, if a, we have a purist Calvinist listening to us, they'll say, "Well, you know, we we don't teach you that that if um, just because of what we believe that you shouldn't witness. You know, we we should witness because we ought to be obedient to God." And uh, while I understand that and acknowledge that there are some Calvinists that will do that, the honest practical effect over the bulk of the people will be just this. You know, what's the point stuff? Yeah, and so. Uh, that's that's the danger of it. And could I just can I just go ahead and interject just a line or two of preaching here? If that's how you preach, and that that well, I don't really know what to tell you. You can just read the Bible, hope, and do do God a favor and get off the radio and get out of the pulpit. <laughs> yeah. Somebody that believes the Bible and can help these lost souls get up there and yeah, tell them amen. the gospel on how to be saved. Amen. Good. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, I think we're uh, about out of time, but I want to thank everyone for coming on. And again, Matt, again, thanks for the study. Man, thank you, guys. The choir's going to start up here. We keep these guys right here. They they work cheap, too. They're, they're <laughs> pretty good guys. We've... It's remarkable. They sound the same every time. They're well-practiced, well-rehearsed. And, Don't have uh, to feed them much. Well, you know, I just call them up from the kitchen. Come on up, <laughs> come on up and sing that song, guys. Ready for another one? I heard yeah. bass singers have to eat a lot, so you probably have to feed him a lot. <laughs> I would know. <laughs> <laughs> We should uh, we should put a special on sometime of uh, one of Sister Barbie's uh, songs. Yes, we'll have to do that. And nice. we also when's the Sun Edition coming up? That ought to be interesting. <laughs> My boys are looking forward to this. Well, amen. So uh, we'll have to do that soon. And for those of you listening, we're, we're talking about having our sons do the next one. Actually, for me, it's easy. Matt's already on, but <laughs> Pastor Strobel and uh, Pastor Steve both have sons that could. Uh, do the show we'll have the sun edition here soon as well the problem is is uh i don't have a son no you're my son uh, so that, that, that's right. fine eric right. you're probably gonna have to moderate that thing just to keep some <laughs> semblance of order and the, do the <laughs> intro and all that kind of stuff because uh it, it could get kind of uh i won't say unruly <laughs> what are you trying to say <laughs> we got to keep them on track are you worried no. about these, your sons? <laughs> Got to finish before midnight. I, I just know my boys. <laughs> what confidence you have? <laughs> oh, I got confidence. 
so it can always be edited. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, what about uh, them just giving their testimonies? Instead you don't want him to do his show? <laughs> yeah, he's worried now. <laughs> he, he's well, they, they, I know what had happened. They'd all fight over who's gonna who's gonna give the stuff. <laughs> well, you know what? We can do the. We can let them all add in. You know, yeah. one person doesn't just have to do it. Right. Yeah. That's a good idea. All right, guys. Next time, Lord willing. Uh-huh. This has been a production of the That's in the Bible podcast. To leave a comment or to ask a question, visit our website at thatsinthebible.com or email us at thatsinthebible at gmail.com or call our listener feedback voicemail at 716-584-1611. Again, that's 716-584-1611. As always, thanks for listening and press on.